Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, I'm Craig, and welcome to another episode of Football Kit Memories, the football podcast that gets under the shirt. In today's episode, I am joined by Chief Football Writer at the iPaper, Daniel Story. In our chat, we cover Daniel's unusual route into football writing, where he sees the role of newspaper-based football journalism, and we cover the new book he's written with the FA on the history of the England national football team. Later, and as always, I asked Daniel, himself an avid football shirt collector, to pick out three of his favourites and tell me a little bit more about what they mean to him. There's a third-placed Premier League Nottingham Forest away shirt from the 90s, the 1980s NASL shirt that first inspired Daniel to start collecting, and we finished in Italy with a Fabio Capello Scudetto winning Milan shirt from 92-93. Remember, you can listen to this and other episodes of Football Kit Memories on all major audio platforms including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Please do like, follow, share, but above all, please do enjoy the podcast. Okay, so today on the podcast, I'm delighted to say I'm joined by the Chief Football Writer for the iNewspaper. Newspaper. It's Mr. Daniel Story. How are you, Daniel? I'm very well. Thanks for having me. Mate, thanks so much for being here. I really do appreciate you taking the time. You're a very busy man. Um, and it's going to be great to chat. So thanks a lot. No, it's all. No, no, it's great. Always a pleasure to talk about football kits anyway. Yeah, everybody seems to feel the same way. They hold that special thing for people. So, mate, I wanted to start off by talking a little bit about your career. So, as I said, you're the chief football writer at the Eye newspaper. That paper used to be, it was a spin-off of The Independent, but it is now independent, I guess, for want of a better word. Is that right? Yeah, that's right, pretty much. Uh, the Independent was was website and print, and when the, the, the print edition of The Independent stopped and just became website only the eye kind of formed out of that and um and for a while they, they kind of shared content a bit and now they are as you say completely separate obviously both have have websites and the eye has has the print edition yeah so it's kind of like would i be right in saying it's like broadsheet quality journalism in a sort of a smaller more compact tabloid format print wise yeah i think that's that that's the pretty much the the cell i think yeah i mean in terms of the news stuff it is quite bite-sized you know they have they have very in-depth stuff but then it's built around kind of bite-sized news stories the sport is i think well it's 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 almost unrecognizable in terms of outlook and 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 
um, format of of any newspaper, any tabloid newspaper, really. You know, I'm writing kind of 800, 850 word match report, so that isn't bite size, which is is right. nice because I'm a I'm a waffler of nothing else. But <laughs> uh, yeah, and and they do because they're reasonably new, and <clears throat> they kind of it feels as I mean, I mean, I'm quite new there, but it feels as a as a, as a relative newcomer that there's kind of scope to do what you want. Don't feel that you have to kind of obviously we cover the biggest games, but you can kind of wander off and do other things as well, which is nice. That's interesting. So it's trying to deliberately do something different. It's trying to stand out in the market then. Yeah. I mean, it's in a, it's in a, an interesting position in that clearly print sales are, are still big news, but it's trying to build up that digital profile, which as I say, it's only is a reasonably new website. And then that, that loyalty takes time to build. But I think the way to do that is to firstly with quality, but also not necessarily write the, the kind of the pieces that everyone else are writing and you're having to fight for competition for. So right. yeah, they've let me do some kind of longer read stuff and kind of, you know, one and a half, two, two and a half thousand words stuff that maybe feels like it's a bit more timeless and got a bit more value to it. Nice. I was going to ask you about that. So it's not just kind of a, fo- a focus for you and your role in kind of English football. You do write kind of longer form pieces on European football and other stuff as well, right? Yeah, I mean, I, basically every time I, or so far, every time I've gone abroad for a Champions League game, it makes total sense for me, partly because I've been caged up for, for 18 months and partly mm. because, you know, it gives the paper some value out of paying for my trip to try and, you know, do something else. So I did PSG City and did a piece on on Red Star, this kind of more independent Parisian yeah. club. I went to Spain for Atletico Liverpool last week and did, you know, did Barca the next night and, and Betis on the Thursday. So there'll be a piece coming out on Betis. And yeah, right. it just, it makes, I'm a, I'm a football obsessive. I love going to games. So if I can do three games in three days rather than one in one, I'd, I'd much rather do that. Fantastic. So the papers get more bang for its buck and you get more games in. That's fantastic. Yeah, we all win. That's the aim, hopefully. <laughs> so Daniel, I've heard you talk in other podcasts about how your route into football writing was slightly different in that you didn't study at university journalism specifically is that right yeah I did a I did an accounting and law degree at, at Manchester which I mean I've said this many times before but the only thing it taught me is I didn't really want to be an accountant or a lawyer <laughs> uh, and then just got a, a kind of run-of-the-mill office job but wanted to save some money up to go watch football abroad and I think that's 2009 I, I went to South Africa and kind of watched some football in South Africa and I wanted to go and see the stadiums ahead of the World Cup the year before, you know, the year after. Mm. And then I flew to to Egypt and then to Greece and did kind of 13 countries in Europe watching football around there over a, wow. a few months. Um, and and at that point, you know, I had no intention of turning that into a, a, a job or even a blog. But when I got back, I kind of got the buzz and because I was living with mates and working in an office job, I was like, you know, I can give this a go. And I was very lucky that you know, it, it immediately became very, very competitive, I think, to make that leap from, you know, just blogging and doing bits of work to suddenly being able to make something of it. And I, I right. mean, I was very, very fortunate. Well, I'm, I'm guessing, though, as well, it's through the hard work because you did a hell of a lot of freelance work as well, right? Yeah, I mean, that was, yes, I, I guess I am hardworking. It also comes out of a kind of fear of, of turning down work in that right. I was freelance and then I got a job and then I went back to freelance and now I've got a full-time job again. And whenever you I was freelance, I was just, you know, you have this kind of notion that you're going to say, if you say no once to one editor, then then the whole industry will kind of shut its doors to you and you'll never have okay. any work again, which is not true, but it is probably a, a reasonably healthy attitude to have in that it, it kind of keeps you working. And And look, 
I, I don't I, I was never you know I've not been sent down the mines to work this is a, an incredibly <laughs> lucky job to have and therefore the least I should do to my mind is try and make the most of it yeah I guess I mean like you say competition must be so fierce and I think even more so nowadays with kind of fan media and things too um <clears throat> there must be so many people that want to do your job um I wondered in terms of what you do in your current role at the moment are you constrained to just write for the eye paper or are you able to kind of do freelance with that too they're 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 brilliant about uh letting me do the totally show uh which is is i guess is is you know i'm introduced as 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 chief football writer of the eye paper and therefore yeah. there's a a kind of pr sell to it because it, it gets thousands of of listeners that maybe haven't read the eye regularly so i think it works for both parties i don't write for anyone else but to be honest, there, there really isn't the time, you know, I'm probably writing six, seven, eight pieces a week for the eye and kind of trying to plan things down the line and mm. plan trips away and how we can work to kind of maximise the budget. So, yeah, it's it, it's pretty full on anyway, I think. It's a nice segue there, the, the Totally Football Show. I wanted to ask you about working there. Um it always just strikes me that you guys have so much fun recording those episodes. It just seems like a really great place to be and talk football. Yeah. Yeah, and and James is is the absolute professional at kind of making people, or a making people feel comfortable on the show, but also kind of drawing. You know, James likes football, but he isn't football obsessed, and therefore yeah. it gives him a kind of maybe sideways glance or a slightly sort of different view on it, where it doesn't always have to be deadly serious all the time. It doesn't always have to be. You know, we will talk about managers that need might need to get sacked and we'll talk about clubs in crisis and we'll talk about serious issues when, you know, for example, let's say a Newcastle takeover. But mm. we can also agree that most people take football in as a, you know, as a, a, a an escape and as a pursuit and for fun rather than for deadly serious reasons. Yeah. What is your kind of pun capability? Do you think you could ever take <laughs> them on with the jokes? I think I'm my the, my problem is that as because I've got used to being a writer, I generally think of the jokes about ten minutes after the show's finished <laughs> rather than ten minutes before. But um, yeah, that that's that's the cross I'll have to bear it. Is he pre-writing those? I wonder. Does he keep those on a list ready to go? His intros are are written by him and are brilliant, and he is far quicker than I would be. So <laughs> I, I suspect those intros take about a tenth of the time they take me to do. Interesting, interesting. Slightly little peek behind the curtain. There. I like <laughs> it. So I, I wanted to ask you about podcasting and writing. I wondered, obviously, in the, in the space for kind of the fight for share of voice and things, and you mentioned about print journalism, and it's a real kind of fight at the moment in that industry. How do the two sit together? Do you think kind of a football news podcast like The Totally Show can sit well with the print journalism as well, or do you think the two are kind of eating into each other's audiences? <laughs> I hope that there's room for both because I think for football probably more than or more than most things maybe maybe music is the obvious equivalent in that people are prepared to listen to music or watch football they're prepared to read about music and read about football they're prepared to you know mm. hear people's takes on things so I think you people are prepared to to take their football information through different mediums I think that helps and also we should remember that we're talking I'm talking about football I've watched generally but it's a low percentage of people in this country that have Sky Sports and BT and watch you know watch three or four games a weekend so for some people we're not just regurgitating what's happened or offering opinions on it we're actually offering some insight into what's happened which is is good yeah I mean in terms of the industry in general is is still paying the price for the fact that nobody 
particularly spotted how successful the internet would be 20, 25 years ago. So it, yeah. it, it decided to give away its product for free online and, and not in print. And that's a very hard sell as soon as you start doing that, either to make people keep paying for print or to start charging people for online because people are used to having it for free. And I can't really think of any other equivalent uh, that you get for absolutely free than than football writing on and the, the quality of football writing you can get online or sports writing online for free doesn't really equate you know something like spotify might bleed that industry dry but it, it's you are still paying a fee at least football yeah. you know football writing is pretty much free across the board the i website's free the bbc's free you know the guardian's free and even within those three things there is there is such a breadth and depth of quality that you just don't get any other product for like that for free. That's a really interesting point. Yeah, it's a real kind of fight for share of voice, like we say, and mm. the stuff you have to put out has to be quality. That's really interesting. Yeah, yeah it does. And, and 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 I do think, you know, this this kind of rise of fan media, some people are kind of quite anti it, but I, I think it's, you know, if it democratises the industry, that has to be a good thing. If it allows different voices that, you know, the if print journalism is is guilty of one thing, it's that, you know a lot of people look and sound like me right if 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 that gives a a democratization to to other voices either in other countries or from other backgrounds to mine then that has to be a good thing because um there's only so many times you know someone like me will write an article like someone like me i might not i might not see things in in a different way or i might not say something that is you know speaks to people 10 years younger than me i mean i'm only you know i'm i'm 35 but i'm not I'm not 25 and I'm not 18 and therefore how I write and how I talk and and how I deliver things might be you know different to how people want to do it so as long as there's interest in things and as long as people are doing it you know for the right reasons and I think all power to that. Yeah that's really interesting. So Daniel you've written three books right um, I wanted to ask you, so obviously two books, the Gaza in Italy book and um, the 250 Days, which is a book about Cantona's Kung Fu kick and the transformation mm. of Manchester United. Um, and you've just published a new book about the history of the England football team in conjunction with the FA. Yep. Before we talk about that, I just wanted to ask you around the process for you writing a book versus writing an article. Is it much the same kind of thoughts that go into it or is it a totally different thing? It's different, but it, it, it's kind of complementary. I mean, I wrote that when I was still a freelancer and my big fear as a freelancer is that I, I would become or one could become this kind of professional big opinions haver on the Premier League. Okay. And, and the issue is that is that things change so quickly that your opinion has to shift so quickly and suddenly you just become, as I say, this kind of reactionary <laughs> uh, opinions haver. And, and that is the last thing I'd want to be. Okay. Uh, so actually having a project that sits underneath that, that you could say, right, three hours today or for a whole day tomorrow, I'm just going to work on the book. is pretty cleansing for the soul. I mean, you know, I got paid to do it, obviously, but it was yeah. one of those things that was a pleasure to do because it gives a bit more structure to that freelance life. So you're not just writing about which manager or which club's in trouble this week. Mm. Um, and yeah, I mean, the, the, the book is is a kind of coffee table book with a huge amount of, of really high quality photos in from the FA's archive. Oh, wow. Uh, mostly. So it was great to be able to write words to, that I knew would fit around certain photos and then we'd, we'd work on which photos we were going to use. And that kind of thing is, you know, that's as far away from writing a 600, 700 word column on Man United as I could get in my job. And it's, yeah. it's really, really nice to do as well. 
So how did that all come about? Did the FA commission you to write the piece? No, the FA was so the FA commissioned uh, the publishing houses as well, but publishers and and I mean out completely out of the blue, literally. I, I got an, an email from from a guy at, at Wellbit Publishing, their commissioning editor, and he kind of said, you know, I like your work. He knew I was freelance, and I, I suppose the difficulty is that a lot of people have full time jobs, and therefore either would have to take a sabbatical or I would have to do it in their spare time. And, you know, I don't have, you know, I don't have kids, for example, so I can, I can afford to work evenings if I need to. Right, right. So I think it just maybe fit that profile um, for them. And yeah, I was very thankful they had because um, quite often with a book, these things are very rushed, whereas they had, you know, we had a a two or three months to do it. So I didn't have to be rushed. It could be done at, at kind of my own pace when I had the time, which, yeah, it was a real honour. It really was. And and obviously, you know, the book ends with, with Euro 2020 in, in, in 2021. And right. it would have been lovely to have England win the final and that'd be the perfect end. But I think the performance of the England team and, and, and the way that the players within that squad have kind of risen up as cultural leaders is mm. a really nice, for me, was a really nice ending to the book. That's a very interesting point. Do you know what? I'm I'm actually a Scotland fan and I was really torn for the whole tournament because (laughs) they're such a great bunch of guys, great professionals doing the, you you know, like kind of in the face of a lot of criticism that is very wrong kind of thing as well. These guys are really standing up for equality and things. And yet I'm a Scotland fan. I didn't want them to win. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, you can like the players. You don't have to like the team. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. But no, that sounds really interesting. So that book's out now at the moment. Yeah, yeah, that's out in all the usual places. I'd obviously urge people to to try and buy it from independent bookshops. But yes, it's it's on the non-independent big sellers as well. So yes, yes, that's out now. Lovely stuff, mate. Lovely stuff. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. 
Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. So, Daniel, let's let's talk about some football shirts, shall we? Mm. The question I ask everybody on the podcast is, what do football shirts mean to you? Well, I, I don't think you know this yet, but I, I collect football shirts. So I've got about okay. 430 Whoa. football shirts in like, you get, I buy these, you get these big, all, they look like kind of suitcases, but they're really thin and flat from online. And you yeah. can get about 70 or 80 shirts in them. So I've just got a wardrobe with them kind of piled on top of each other. Wow. Um, which started, basically, I, I collect football shirts and I collect football books or sports books it is now because when I started freelancing it was literally one week I was doing an office job and then it was let's give this a go and I thought when I make money I'm going to spend a percentage of that of the disposable income I have which wasn't very much at the time on kind of hard copies of things so if this all goes tits up in a year right at least I've got something you know I can look at that and go well I've got that to show for it <laughs> and you know I love football anyway so I would always like having shirts or like having books so it, it kind of fit yeah and I, yeah I carried on doing that so yeah I've got sort of seven eight hundred sports books and 300 and 400 football shirts Bloody which, hell. yeah my partner is is kind of yeah you've made your point now it's not going away yet <laughs> stop buying this stuff but the problem is is that you know they keep bringing them out and they keep bringing out the books and they keep bringing out the shirts and you get kind of transfixed into them like a classic football shirts sort of doom scroll every week where oh. you, you persuade yourself you need the thing you definitely don't need. Yeah. So typically, are you buying like new stuff or are you buying vintage stuff? Uh, I've got a few vintage things, um, but mainly it's it's quantity rather than quality, if I'm honest. My, my, okay. I, I, basically, I, I'm a, a, a kind of organisational nerd, so I've got a spreadsheet of shirts and I'm, I'm, the aim is basically to buy a, a club shirt from every country in the world or every country in FIFA. Right. Uh, so I'm up to about 130 or 140 countries. Uh, so I just, you know, there are a few sites I use that, you know, just have a scroll at the new stuff and see if there's anything. I mean, I know the guys at Classic Football Shirts now, so right. that that helps. Um, they can kind of give me a heads up on on stuff. But yeah, it is mainly, if I'm honest, it's mainly quantity rather than quality. So there's 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 a few kind of outrageous designs, there's designs I like, and then there's a kind of lot of Bundesliga and La Liga and Portuguese okay. League and French League kits in there. Love it, mate. Fantastic. Well, let, let's talk about your first choice then. Um, so this is the Nottingham Forest away shirt from 94-95 by Umbro. Tell me yes. more. I, I mean, as a Forest fan, I would probably be cursed by my fellow breed that I've gone for the the kind of blue and odd green yeah. away kit rather than the red and white, which should be the natural choice. But and the Labatt's home shirt from that season was was really nice. But for some reason the away shirt is the one that kind of stuck in my mind. It was a kind of Collie Moore doing silly things. We won at mm -hmm. Old Trafford that season. Uh we won seven seven one at Sheffield Wednesday uh in that it's, it's just it's just it was the away days that I remember I mean I was only I was eight and nine years old didn't right. go to many but I do remember that blue kit sticking out I think because it was new and 
red and white had always been forest and when i started going in you know 91 92 to to now so it's the the awake it's always stuck out a bit more and right um it's a for forest fans it's a kind of if that season hadn't been successful, I suspect that kit would be kind of love hate, but, but Forrest were promote had got promoted and finished third in the premier league in that kit. And I mean, yeah. you know, you don't need me to tell you that's a, a world away from wherever we've been since. So it holds those kind of nostalgic memories for, for fans as well. I think. Do you, do you get down to Forrest much nowadays? When I can, not yeah. as much as I'd like. I mean, uh, you know, to repeat what I said earlier, I'm very lucky to be doing what I'm doing and I would never moan, but I guess that's that's one of the downsides is that I don't get there on a Saturday as much as I'd like. Uh, yeah. There are still occasions, but yeah, it's mainly consuming it kind of as when I was, a, a, you know, a very young kid, which is through the radio. Uh, so no, I, I don't get down. I mean, I probably went, probably saw them four or five times last season, which is, you know, is... <laughs> basically 10% as much as I'd like because if, if yeah. I wasn't a, if I wasn't a writer I would, I would go every week right how I mean it's been a long time as you said it's kind of a, a golf away from where it was then to where it is now at Forest I mean you must get asked this all the time you know the typical kind of stand or the sleeping giants in that league etc how how far away from the Premier League do you think they are it's, it's difficult to know because I'm, I'm kind of hardwired to think we're a long way away, which mm. is certainly true in terms of our recent history and our not so recent history. Um, they're a club who have, I think there was a, a, an accidental arrogance for a long time at the club that, that reflects exactly what you say, which is, you know, we are a sleeping giant. We were a big club. So why aren't we in the Premier League? But the reality is, if you look at clubs that have, have done it, you know, this season, the obvious example being Brentford. It's mm. clubs that do things the right way. It's things that they build sustainably for the long term. And Forest have just had this kind of short-termist obsession that, you know, huge turnover of players, huge turnover of managers in search of this kind of miracle formula, which doesn't exist unless you commit to it. Um, right. But having said that, it's quite feasible that eventually we land upon the right manager. Uh, and suddenly zoom up the league and everyone thinks, well, this is all we're waiting for. So yeah. having having made so many appointments, I can kind of see why they're just carrying on doing it until they hopefully like find Mr. Wright. Okay. Well, fingers crossed for you, mate, one day. As you say, it's this uh, a club with so much history in English football. It's a shame not to have them in the top league, I always think, for the, for the marketing and for the brand of the league itself around the world, in my opinion. Yeah. There you go. So... I had to really look this second one up. I had no idea about this shirt. This <laughs> is proper sorry. niche. So this is Montreal Manic from 1981. Yeah. It's an NASL shirt. I'm not sure who the brand is. I couldn't find out who the who made it. Uh, no, it's a good question. You, it's really hard now to find the the old version of the shirt because the new ones, you know, like Copper have made a version of the shirt yeah. you can buy kind of new brand. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's... I agree with you. It's pretty niche. Uh, it's it's. I just think it's a such an amazing retro design. I mean, anyone yeah. listening to this, go and look it up because it's it's kind of garish, but it's also white base. And of the however many kits I've got, probably half of them are white. I love white shirts. Right. Okay. I just think if you have a white base, you can do something a bit. You can either have something incredibly simple and effective, like the kind of Marseille Adidas 
shirts the 93 or you yeah. can go a bit garish like this and with the, it's got a big logo it's got big numbers it's got the kind of the, this kind of four lines red and white sort of sash but it's kind of low-hanging sash yeah. and there's, there's too many things on there but i think because it's white you kind of get away with it and it's i mean it's very of its time it's very american soccer league but yeah i'm a big fan do you have some kind of affiliation to the team or Montreal itself, or you just like the design? No, I, I, I mean, the kind of mushy answer would probably be that this was the kit that made me decide to start collecting football kits, which ah. I think is is a probably is a half truth. It's probably slightly romantic nostalgia. I'm not. I'm sure it wasn't quite that straightforward, but I've always loved it, and therefore, and I've always loved white kits. So I think maybe in, there is a degree of truth to that. Right. Very nice. And I need to, I, and I still haven't managed to find an original copy. I've got the copper one, uh, the kind of remake of it, which yes. is, 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 yeah, is, is exactly the right design, but I'd love to find a, an original. So typically are you kind of, are all of your shirts kind of stored away or do you actually wear them? Do you use them to play football in or anything? Yeah, I use them basically. I mean, I use them to play five aside in and to go running in which right. neither of which happens as much as I'd like. <laughs> um, but other than that, but, but because I have these kind of storage things and I've got enough, there's, there's probably only kind of 20 or 30 on rotation. So right. the ones that I really like don't come out. I've got the, you know, they're all in, as I say, these cases and then they're in like shirt bags, you know, the sort of yeah. clear cellophane shirt bags. So um, they're all stored away for a rainy day that will clearly never come. But, that's fine i can live with that wow mate it sounds interesting um so look your, your final shirt choice is this one's a bit of a classic people know this one a lot more so this is ac milan 92 93 by adidas uh, it's the one with the motto sponsor mm. yeah it's just a i i as i say i'm 35 there are people who are five years younger than me up to five or ten years older than me who if they didn't grow up on it on Gazetta Football Italia and, mm -hmm. and you know Football Italia Sundays then they at least form part of their kind of cultural awakening to football outside of England and so I would all if I was picking three shirts and to be honest if I was picking one it would I would pick a, a Serie A shirt from that era because it just it did just open your eyes to to different football to yeah. kind of whether it's Il Fenomeno Ronaldo whether it's Batistuta whether it's you know George Way or whether it, any of those Baggio and yeah this Milan shirt I think is the best of the best the the only other one I was considering picking is that there's a a white obviously uh Roma away shirt which is the the Marseille uh kind of shoulder yeah. three stripe design that's up there um but the Milan one is just it, it's not even that the shirt is particularly uh you know it's not a flamboyant design it's not it's not I don't even think it's it's necessarily on its own a particularly attractive kit. It's just yeah. completely iconic. It's everything that those times, you know, it's Marco van Basten and it's 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 just all of those players who uh, kind of taught me that there was football outside NG2 in Nottingham. <laughs> Do you know, I mean, look, I've done over 60 episodes now and a lot of people, especially men, I'm 35 too, a lot of men our age that I've spoken to say the same thing about Football Italia, about how iconic it was and how much of um, an imprint it's had on their own kind of, you know, their own kind of relationship with football, I guess. Yeah. 
working with James so closely, who hosted Football Italia, obviously, in the 90s, is he aware of that kind of impact that he had? And do you speak to him about it? He's he's quite, I think he's he's quite shy about that. I mean, he he is, he will be completely blunt and say he kind of fell into that job. You yeah. Know, he was, he happened to, he wanted to be in Italy. He he heard about the job. He 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 went for it. He got it. it. He had no idea at that point because Channel Four had no idea at that point that it would become this kind of cultural pillar. Yeah. And I think I think he probably is quite uh, shy about it. I suppose nobody wants to think that you know the the thing they're most famous for happened a long time ago. So Good point. I'm sure that's yep. part of it. <laughs> but he's also, as I say, he's not a football obsessive, and I think that's why he was so good at that job. In that he was never he's meeting these famous people, and he was never, you know, bowing down in front of them. He was never getting stage fright because mm. he was never. I'm sure some of them became, you know, good friends or heroes, but that was never how it was introduced. It was introduced on a very, you know, level playing field, and. Yeah, and it, and and for people of our age, it came at a time when foreign players were just going to be starting coming over here as well. So yeah. we had this kind of dual awakening of we were watching people that we might watch down the road in two years' time, which is an yeah. incredibly exciting thing. Yeah, fantastic. I wish Saturdays and Sundays were still the same. I wish I was still eight <laughs> and nine years old sometimes. <laughs> so look, Daniel, that's fantastic. Thanks so much for sharing your football kit memories with me. Um, your, uh, so your new book on the history of England national football team is out now. Um, you can yes. get that in all good bookstores. You can. And uh, where can people find you on social? Uh, I'm Daniel Story 85 on Twitter. Um, yeah, I mean, that I, I do Instagram, but it's just pictures of football grounds. So, yeah, <laughs> Twitter is fine. Thank you very much. I mean, there's a niche for that as well, you know. So. <laughs> there is. <laughs> no, Daniel, it's been absolutely fantastic to talk to you. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. So there you have it. Massive thanks to Daniel for sharing his football kit memories with me. Remember, you can follow me and my own collection on Instagram or get in touch via Twitter or email. Make sure you follow Daniel too on social and check out the three books he's written. The music you heard on the podcast was produced by Evil Ed. You can check out his music on his Bandcamp page. There's links to absolutely everything I mentioned there in the notes section. And finally, thanks to you for listening. If you have enjoyed it, please do spread the word. Give me a follow on social and subscribe to Football Kit Memories on your podcast player of choice. Sharing is caring. And other than that, I guess that's it. Until next time, I'll catch you later. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.